What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This is part two of my interview with Sabrina Plisko. I'm heading to LA tonight for Edit Fest, so my podcast isn't as long as usual, but we'll be picking it back up when we get back from LA. Speaking of Edit Fest, we'll be there live blogging, tweeting, and talking about film editing all this weekend from LA. Also, for those who haven't seen our new video series with the editing associations from around the world, this includes the Australian screen editors, Canadian cinema editors, and the American cinema editors. We just posted a video with District 9 editor Julian Clark. You can check it out at www.artoftheguillotine.com slash asochvideo.php. So the last part is the slash A-S-S-O-C-V-I-D-E-O dot P-H-P. If you're wanting to learn more about Julian Clark or Sabrina Plesko, you can now use our handy search bar on the main page to search articles, blogs, videos, audio, anything involving these editors or many others. But now back to the show. This week, Sabrina and I pick up talking about Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, and then we move into Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium and Charlotte's Web. Hey, you also got to cut the dog fight scenes with the winged sort of evil machine guys. Yeah, I don't remember the names yes. of the machine, but you know, all that action stuff was just so much fun to cut. And you know, animation is a whole different world because you start off and you're guessing a lot of what it's going to be. But you know, the movies I've done since have all been like that. There's certain characters that just don't exist in the frame, so it's an empty shot. So I have to sort of guess and envision of what's going to happen. And then as the animation comes in, then you actually start to refine the, the cut and you learn and discover things all along the way. How does that affect your pacing? Because if there's something not there and you're trying to play off that, how do you work your pacing and your timing of cuts? That is the hard part and that is the challenge. I think that's exactly what I was saying, when you have to make your best guess and until you start getting your animation back, at least initially on any movie, depending on what the character is, you don't know how fast or what their movements are gonna be. As time goes on, you'll sort of get better at your guesstimate because you'll have an understanding about the movement of the character. But in the beginning, it's, it's a pretty wild guess. You just have to mm. hope that your rhythm, your rhythm of cutting will dictate how they can animate and, and there's a lot of give and take along the way to make adjustments and perfect it. With Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, mm -hmm. it's a children's film, but how did you approach editing this so that the adults would still be engaged? Well, that's the challenge on all of these movies that I do mm -hmm. because I seem to be pigeonholed in this um, family genre, which is you know really a, a good genre to be a part of, but you want to make sure that there's as much for everybody in there, not just gear it t towards small, young people. And that's where I get frustrated with the studios because I feel like they want to dumb things down and they don't want to make smart choices sometimes when I feel like, oh, that's where, you know, that little moment will go for the adult, but they they really tend to cater to, to small children, which means shorter, faster. And I don't always agree with that, so it's my biggest struggle because I want to make a smarter movie and give it a little more eloquence 
than sometimes I feel they allow. So it just becomes a little bit of a fight between the filmmakers and the studios and what the movie is that they want to make. But even more basic than that, some of that is very inherent in the original script. Mm -hmm. Whenever I see things like Bugs Bunny or the old cartoons, there's like that base layer of humor, but then mm -hmm. there's that underlying sort of adult humor yes. that's there for the, everyone. And some of that, like I said, is in the script, and some of, some of it you can you know, add into the, the subtlety of the animation so that there's you know, layers of complex performance that you can you can deliver for your audience. How do you, with the Wonder Emporium, there's sort of these two worlds, there's this fantasy world and the real world. How did you keep the two balanced together so that people didn't, it didn't fall too much into the fantasy and people sort of got pulled out or didn't go too much into the reality and lose the fantasy? That was very inherent in the script that Zach wrote. He's a you know, extremely gifted screenwriter, and that was very much there. And then as you construct the movie, you have to stand back and look at the balance and try to figure out if it's lopsided one way or the other or tipped too far. And, you know, tone is a big deal in these movies that we do. It's like how silly, how smart, how magical, how scary do we want to make the villains in these children's movies? Those are all things you have to stand back and analyze as you see the movie as a whole. It's a little hard as I'm doing dailies, like on my current project, to know where I'm at. But once you have the whole thing together, you can really, you should really step back and just analyze and assess and ask those questions of yourself. And then you have to say, okay, is that going to be too scary for a six-year-old? Who is our audience? Who, you know, how do we make it appealing to everybody? Which that's, it's interesting that you bring that up because that was actually going to be one of my questions. How do you determine what's too scary for a little kid? Because I was thinking of uh, Charlotte's Web. The spider was quite visually accurate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's the scene where she kills the, the bug to, mm -hmm. to drink its blood. Right. And I was wondering, is there any, how do you determine where that line is? But also, uh, was there any point where you were, you were almost self-censoring? Well, I think it, that becomes a question on a larger issue mm -hmm. with your studio and with your producers and your director because in that particular movie we wanted it to be as real as possible at the same time the story is so um, strong that even the ugliness or the scariness of the spider you have you go beyond that and become very attached to the character so you have to find that middle ground where you want to you want it to be real and yet spiders don't talk <laughs> and pigs don't talk so you have to go in wholeheartedly believing that you're just going to put it out there and people buy it into it quickly or or they don't and i think that's the beauty of that film and chihuahua and what we'll even try to achieve on smurfs is trying to make a world that completely is not real believable to everybody. It's like, of course the Smurfs are going to run around New York, <laughs> and of course dogs talk or pigs talk. And you just have to go in and make it not too big and not too silly, where you almost don't even notice it after a while that dogs talk or pigs talk. If you, if you just make it subtle and real, like I'm talking to you and I don't even pay attention to your mouth move, it's just mm -hmm. something that is a given for us as, as speaking beings. And then as far as how scary or or not you make things, you, you make your best guess, but then you've got to put it in front of an audience and you just have to see the reaction and hear the gasps and, you know, see if you've tipped it too far. As far as the editing of it, as 
you know, the spider wrapping up a bug that it's, a, you know, killed to eat. You, you do it, you sell it, but you don't dwell on it. So mm -hmm. you don't, you know, you don't linger too long. At the same time, the animation was done in a beautiful manner, so it wasn't gross. Yeah. So that was the other approach we took. And they took. almost give, um, give the okay by having the horse sort of faint with spiders. And yes. everyone say that's disgusting and sort exactly. of lessen the impact of it. Yeah, the other characters, you know, definitely react like, you know, people do to, yeah. to bugs. So, so it definitely helps that whole thing. Now you also had a co-editor on Charlotte's Web. Yes, Susan Littenberg and I worked on that together. She had worked with the director previously, so they had a long-standing relationship. And um, I was actually brought in to be the one to manage and really help push the VFX through since that I just finished Sky Captain and that, mm -hmm. you know, was becoming my strength. So that's where our where I was brought in. Um, the workload was quite heavy animal movies. They shoot a lot of footage. I mean, I think we had a million and a half feet on that one, if I remember properly. And so there was just a lot of material to get through. So it was a lot of fun. I love working with other editors. We don't get to do that very often. Um, it's nice to have a collaborator to, to commiserate with. So is that how you split up the editing, that you took the VFX shots? Not really. I mean, we there wasn't any any rule that we abided by we just would as things came in every day you know i i think susan learned a lot about about effects and she cut her her fair share so we just randomly kind of took things every day and then when, as we got through into the director's cut and, and studio cut it just sort of fell on whoever wanted to do what for the day, and um, there wasn't any rules. And sometimes we'd all sit together, me and, and the director and Susan together to help make decisions because it just was more fun putting our heads together to find solutions and, and get through get through problems. And well, that was part two of my interview with Sabrina Plisko. I'd like to thank Sabrina for allowing me to interview her. I'd also like to thank Jenny McCormick and Lauren Woodcock, my producer. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.